literacy and data visualization are issues we discuss with some frequency, both on this program as well as outside of it. When done well, data visualizations can make complicated material easier to understand. When done poorly, they can distort or misrepresent research findings. Understanding how visualizations like graphs work and communicate data is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio are regular panelists John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics, Department and Richard Campbell, the former chair of the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. Our guest today is Sharon Hesney. Hesney is a writer, an educator, and the coordinator of the New York Times Learning Network's What's Going On With This Graph feature, where once a week students can take part in a live discussion of a graph that was published somewhere on the New York Times website. Sharon, thanks you, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Rosemary. It's a pleasure. Would you mind, just to get us started, giving us a little bit of, ba- of background about where what's going on with this graph sort of came from? Sure. About 20 years ago, the New York Times started um, a new department called the Learning Network. And the Learning Network's objective was to show teachers how to use the resources of the New York Times in their classrooms. Um, it could be K through 12. It could be college. It could even be grad school. And one of the first features they had was something called what's going on with this picture, where they would um, show you a picture and they, you try to guess what it was. Well, about a year ago, they came to the American Statistical Association and they said, um, you know, we'd really like to have something that has to do quantitative. And so um, they thought of the idea of why don't we do, do what's going on with this graph? Mm-hmm. So we take a graph that was in the New York Times in the past and we ask the students, what do you notice? What do you wonder? What story is this graph telling? And write us a very brief headline that gets to the main idea. So that's where it came from. We've been up and running for a year. Last year, we were once a month. And this year, we will be most Wednesdays through the school year. Oh, wow. That's that's awesome. So, yes. so how do you pick the graphs? What are some of the criteria you use to select these graphs? Well, Rosemary gave a list of the things I do for what's going on with the graph. The most fun part is I curate the graph. So um, I have been addicted uh, for decades to reading the New York Times. I collected graphs in the New York Times that I think are appropriate, and then I go through them looking for ones to use for what's going on with this graph. So there are a couple criteria I use. The first and the most important is the viewer, the student, needs to be able to see themselves in the graph. Um, They really do not want to look at a graph of the growth of GMP in Russia, which was in the Times today, Um, but they may be interested in a graph um, that shows how e-commerce is taking over Christmas sales, okay, which we did last Christmas. Um, So I go through them and I try to find ones that students can see themselves in. Um, The next thing is I want something that has a context of interest and is very timely. Um, We vary the graphs from month to month. So in the first year, we had heat maps, scatter plots, time series, box plots, bubble charts, um, histograms, all kinds of graphs. And we try to see if from 
week to week, we can have different ones. Finally, what makes a graph really interesting is when you can compare things in it. Um, so not one set of gra data, but two sets of data. So for example, we had a very interesting one that we thought wouldn't probably get much response, but got enormous response, which was the labor participation rate in different countries mm. in the world. And so you could see, gee, the labor participation rate was going up in a lot of countries, but why was it going down in the United States? And so that comparison is what led to a lot of students wondering things about what was going on in that graph. Sharon, uh, one of the things that is a challenge, and, uh, and I have to say I really kind of admire your commitment to particularly high school education, is the students that we run into that have math phobia or numbers phobia. Yeah. And uh, what, do you, what do you do when you sort of come up against that? I know, I know we run a journalism program here, and a lot of our students are just struggle with this. And, uh, and it seems to me like, you know, what you're doing is a kind of a, a, an entryway into understanding this at a level that uh, is not so daunting. Um, you know, this is part of the genesis of the whole program. You know, what people often do is they'll see an article and they'll see it has a graph in it and totally skip it and just go, you know, to the picture, the headline, and maybe read the text. What the people, those of us who use graph all the, graphs all the time know that if a picture is worth a thousand words, the graph is probably worth, you know, a million numbers. And so we really want to kind of break down that intimidation factor of graphs. The way we do it is a technique that Annie Fetter um, from the Math Forum, which is now part of uh, the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics does, which is what do you notice? What do you wonder? So when you look at a graph, everyone can notice something. There are dots on it. There are, it's, it has, you know, uh, an x-axis and a y-axis. Um, it's about different countries. You can always come up with something that you notice. And as you dig more deeply, um, you'll come up with additional noticings. After noticing, you say, then what do I wonder? What questions haven't been asked? Um, we think the best practices to do uh, what's going on with this graph is first for people to, to discuss this either individually or in small groups and then have a whole group. Because by hearing other people's noticings and wonderings, you get more and more ideas. After you've done this for a short period of time, it's really pretty exciting and simple to come up with a short, catchy headline about what the story is in the graph. So that's the way we do it. And um, uh, it's amazing how st students are so excited about contributing to this and coming up with things they never thought of. In addition, when they walk out of the room, I certainly expect that they'll probably still be thinking about the graph and the issues in it. So what, what graph has gotten the most interest of all the ones that you, you've had so far? <laughs> October 2017, the food graph. So you want to know why? I yeah. wonder why that had the most interest. <laughs> well, in addition to the fact that it was about food, um, there were great little pictures of food. It was a scatter plot, mm -hmm. and it compared um, what stat with uh, nutritionists. Whether nutritionists feel a particular food is healthy or not to what the general public says about it. 
and it, it, it had each of these 50 foods graphed um, on a scatter plot. And the really interesting thing about it was that there was this line that went from the lower left-hand corner to the upper right-hand corner. Now, when you have a scatter plot, that line, which is halfway between the two axes, that's probably the y equals x axis, uh, y equals x line. And it was where nutritionists and the public agreed. So those foods above the line, nutritious, nutritionists thought were healthier than, than the public, and those below, the public thought was healthier than nutritionists. And that had a lot of discussion about what was going on with this graph and, uh, you know, the story behind it. What kind of classrooms are you imagining this this is being used in? Is this something that is just for uh, math classes, or, or are there other classes where you think this might be an appropriate or a useful tool? Um, I think it's it's useful in any class. Um, if the content relates to the class, so we had how men and women express love in literature, oh. and you would think that would be great for an English class, but the math behind that graph would also be appropriate in a math class, um, and I'm sure would have the students smiling when they saw that that was the graph they were going to be talking about, <laughs> but because students talk about the graphs, because they have critical thinking about the graph, because they're engaged in current events and timely topics, um, and because they end up writing about what they see, what they notice, and what they wonder. It's really appropriate for, for all courses, and it doesn't even have to be in a classroom setting. Um, I'm part of a volunteer group that uh, observes trees in the Boston area, and they're going to be looking at grass because we have them um, in our volunteer program um, and just having them get used to how you read these different graphs that have to do with climate, temperature, time of day, when the leaves come out, when the fruit comes out and all. Um, it can be all kinds of um, situations. Uh, where their graphs. After all, now you know it's not just textbooks that we see graphs, and we see graphs um, on Facebook, we see graphs on YouTube, we yeah. see graphs on um, uh, different other different uh, websites and all. And learning how to see, understand graphs is really a 21st century skill. I'm I'm curious what 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 got you to this point. You know, so how how did your career evolve to the point that you're curating this this really cool exercise? Well, be careful what you uh, do when you're young because you could become addicted. As I told you, I'm addicted to reading newspapers. I tend to read them with breakfast every morning. And my students for 20 years um, at the end in the Boston Public Schools knew I would walk into class. I would put a graph under the what then was the overhead because that's what we, the technology we had. And I would say... What's going on with this graph? <laughs> and um, it was always something that intrigued me. I mean, I didn't do it every day. Um, and I have to be honest, I didn't think the quality of the answers that I got back was that great. I often ended up telling the students what was going on with the graph, which is not the best way to proceed. And so when with the New York Times, we came up with the idea of using what do you notice, what do you wonder? Then we really see, saw an increase in the quality of responses. 
Mm-hmm. And that's really the key of exploring, because it's those two questions that kind of put mm-hmm. together the pieces of the puzzle to figure out what the story is. And um, we became very successful with that. So that's how it started. So as a longtime reader of newspapers, um, can you talk a little bit about what you, just as a general reader, what you've noticed about what journalists get right and what journalists get wrong and what they maybe <laughs> need to know? And, and, uh, and, and it would be helpful probably to have you as a teacher as well. <laughs> okay, graphs are tough. They are very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, not every, most graphs are different. They take different approaches. They, they, they have different kinds of data. Even once you have the data, there are different ways of repre- representing it. There are right ways and there are wrong ways to represent it. It is difficult. And the only way you get good at interpreting graph, uh, graphs and and asking the right questions is if you have a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. Okay. So I think graphs in general and media have gotten better because um, a lot of um, publications have been burned by really bad graphs, which have been publicized. Mm -hmm. Um, And they now probably have on staff people that will help them out or at least look at the graphs to make sure that they're okay. In addition, you've got to be able to get um, the text that goes with the graph to be consistent with what the graph says. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we have a little component of what's going on with this graph, which may be helpful, which is called stat nuggets. So with each of the graphs, we have two or three statistical terms that we de- define in layman's terms. Um, and then after we do that, we write up where you see it in the graph. And these are the, the naughty um, statistical terms that often are interpreted incorrectly um, in text. So the difference between number and proportion or net change and percentage change um, or the one that is misused most frequently, which is the difference between association and correlation. So we, we include those in um, the installments of what's going on with this graph where appropriate. And so that along the way, you kind of end up learning how to approach the graph. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington with Miami University Statistics Department Chair uh, John Baylor and Media, Journalism and Film uh, former Department Chair Richard Campbell. Our guest today is Sharon Hesney, who works with The New York Times on the uh, Learning Network on the What's Going On With This Graph feature. Sharon, before the break, you mentioned there were some fairly... Um, well-known examples of graphs gone bad in in reporting. <laughs> Do you have an example or two where you could sort of, you know, for, for the listeners kind of explain uh, what you mean by a graph gone bad in reporting? <laughs> well, they're all different. <laughs> um, well, there's a whole bunch of graphs, especially in newspapers, which like to show uh, how quantities have increased over time. And so, um, you know, the amount of garbage collected in a city. And instead of having a nice little bar graph, you know, we, we collected uh, 50 million tons, then 100 million tons, and then 200 million tons, and having the bars double in size each time. 
they'll draw pictures of garbage cans. And the second garbage can is twice as tall as the first, and the third one is three times as tall as the first. Except garbage cans increase by the volume, which is cubed, okay? And, you know, lines, you know, just increase by the length, okay? So it's a misrepresentation. It looks like it's increasing a whole lot faster or a whole lot more than it that really was. And so that's a kind of a silly one that often appears. Um, there are plenty of other kind of silly ones that appear. Um, the, as far as when I talked about association and correlation, correlation should really only be used when there's a linear relationship. And with either of them, you shouldn't assume that there's um, a cause and effect. There's only a cause um, and effect if you do an experiment. And so... Um, you should be careful with using those words um, because they have special meanings. Yeah, we, we tend to, to, to differentiate pretty strongly between correlation and causation as, yeah. as we discuss this in, in, our, in our classrooms as well. Uh, the, the issue of, of kind of general association is something that we often subsume in a discussion of, of yeah, or correlation is a linear association within is a special case. Uh, you know, your, your comment about, about the idea of bad graphs in reporting and, and the, 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 new, the, the more recent ones being better, I, I, I strongly agree. I mean, I, I think back on this. I used, to I used to use the papers for the examples of all the bad graphs I could show <laughs> my students to not do. But I think now that, that things have really improved, and it's, you don't, you're not as likely to see the misrepresentations like you described. I, I still think there's often some, some room for aesthetics and improvement in design, but but generally, I, I I really like how how times have changed in terms of the quality of visual displays. Yeah, one of the other things is is I'm I'm hoping that um, publications are less shy about putting in graphs. So when you read an article that is just full of facts and figures, you know, and and and. and 2008, it was this, and in 2018, it's now that. Um, and they give it to you for five different cities and, and, and different, different groups of people or something. It would be great if that could be represented in a graph. You can get a lot more understanding um, in a graph than in a text form. How You mentioned before um, the relationship between writing text to go with the graph. What's what's the challenge in that, especially if you're, you know, if you're trying to help an English teacher explain a graph and get the students to write about that graph, tell the story that's that's there. What kind of tips do you have for getting somebody who's really not trained in statistics or math to be able to tell that story in the best way? OK, so the big one is practice. You know, it's it's the same with the violin. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You just practice, 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 and how do you get good at graphs? You practice. Um, the other is, um, so what makes go, what's going on with this graph so really special is we release it on Tuesday afternoon. On Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., we live moderate student responses. Mm. So it's very easy. Everything is free. Um, Students and teachers sign up with what's going on with this graph, and the way you get to it is just put in your browser what's going on with this graph. You'll come right to it. Click on that week's graph, okay? 
sign up, all you have to do is put in a name and a location, and it can be as simple as, you know, John from New York. Um, and we ask students to write down what they notice and what they wonder. Uh, in some cases, teachers will compile what the students say on noticing and wonder and send it in one. Mm -hmm. um, we have teachers um, who moderate this and reply to students' responses in real time. And the import of what we do is not to just say good job, but say, can you tell us where you saw that in the graph? What makes you say that? If you, uh, you wondered about something, where could you find that answer? Um, and so we try to encourage them to go to the next step in analyzing the graph. Now, this year, for the very first time, we're doing, um, in addition to what's the story in this graph, uh, to writing the headline. And it's going to be very interesting what we come up with with headlines. Um, and uh, I don't know what my comments will be for that, but we're excited <laughs> about seeing it. I, I really you. like that you have, you have that moderation built into that. Because one of the things I was thinking about as you were describing this is, is uh, what do teachers need to know to best facilitate discussions on this? And I, I would imagine that being able to, to have, have you moderating or others that are re reviewing this, giving kind of that real-time feedback, would give the teachers some idea about how they might be able to do this, you know, offline and in their own classrooms. Yeah. So, okay, a couple things. First of all, all the releases are archived. So that's mm -hmm. kind of interesting uh, because if one of your listeners is says, gee, well, let's go do the food graph, you can just go find it there and you can have the students um, look at it and can respond. We will not reply, but they can respond, okay? Um, the other thing is the way releases are written, it tells, it's actually written to the student, which tells the teacher as well what to do. So it says, here's the graph, answer these questions. What do you notice? What do you wonder? What's going on with this graph? Give us a title. Uh, give us a, a, a caption, okay? Um, so it tells you what to do, and this is, and then we'll respond. So there's really no prep for teachers mm -hmm. or for anyone else who's going to be using this mm -hmm. um, because it's all there. What's the response been from educators? I mean, you're going from a once a month last year to what it sounds like a weekly schedule. I mean, it sounds like the response must have been good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, we were getting hundreds of responses a month. We had over 3,000 responses for the year. Um, and um, the Times said, golly, we have so many more graphs. Let's, let's just go weekly. That's quite a commitment. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly a lot, of, a lot of graphs that are being produced, like you said, in the Times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of graphs. We have 16 moderators from across the country who are teachers and one in Qatar who will actually be moderating tomorrow. Um, and we rotate them through to get different perspectives. Oh, that's cool. How did you select the moderators or how did you recruit them? Uh, first of all, anyone who's interested. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, uh, social media has all kinds of platforms where teachers talk to each other and we know which teachers are discussing statistics and graphs and coming up with really interesting um, lessons and strategies and a lot of those teachers are the ones 
uh, who want to moderate. So th- this is a sort of a more general question about uh, goes back to something we talked a little bit of earlier. So how do you how do you inspire students to who who don't seem to show <laughs> aptitude or interest in numbers and statistics? Wh- what do you what have you done in the classroom over time to, um, to inspire them? Well. You know, I, I think it's as simple as when you put up the graph, they go, I want to do this. I want mm-hmm. to do the food graph. This is fun. I want to see if my fa- where my favorite foods are on this graph. So a lot of it's okay. just the example sometimes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, which is why we never thought we were going to get much of a response from labor participation. Not exactly a hot topic for most people. <laughs> but it was so discouraging to see how the U.S. labor participation was declining in comparison to other countries, mm-hmm. that people became engaged, the students yeah. became engaged. So um, it's, you know, it, it's just looking at the graph. I mean, we, ha- we had a graph on the most, the, the number of downloads by popular singers by parts of the country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And never was a negotiation as hot as when the New York Times and I negotiated which four singers we would feature. <laughs> okay. And, I would, and, 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 and our editor said, well, I, you know, I went outside and I asked people, and I said, this is the one we want to do. And I said, well, I went to the Boston Public Schools and this is what the kids wanted. Uh-huh. So anyway, so, um, you know, when, when you see that and, you know, and you, you're really interested in one of those singers, you know, you, you really like Drake, okay, you're going to want to know, gee, where is he the most popular? Mm-hmm. Then the next thing is, well, let's assume you're not even interested in some graph. It's not that exciting to you. If I just say to you, what do you notice? Mm-hmm. I don't give you a quadratic formula and say, what's the solution? Right. Okay. I say, what do you notice in this graph? And when you say, you know, I see pictures of food on it, I say, great. And what does anyone else notice? And you keep going. It, uh, it keeps students interested. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we had a guest uh, many episodes ago that talked about numbers as plot elements in stories. You know, I, I think that what, what, you're, what you're describing and what you're doing with this, this is looking at graphs as, as kind of more than, you know, aggregates of numbers as part of this story. That's yeah. a, a, you know, I, I, liked your, I liked your comment earlier about, you know, the picture worth a thousand words, but the idea of a graph worth a million numbers. I, mm-hmm. I think there's some, uh, the idea of this integration and connection to this story sounds, is really cool. Thank you so much for being here today. I think that's all the time we have uh, for this conversation, unfortunately. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, you can send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. Or check us out on our spiffy website, statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.